The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back, folks, here on Big Blue View for our post-2021 NFL Draft Reaction Show. I'm Joe DeLeon, joined by Nick Filato and Chris Flum. And as I said, today we will be sharing our thoughts, the three of us, after we've had some time to digest these draft selections by the New York Giants, share our thoughts on who our favorite picks were, maybe our biggest question marks. All of those various topics will be addressed in today's episode before we get to it, though, make sure you hit that subscribe button, leave us a five-star review, and head to BigBlueView.com to find more post-draft reaction content and analysis. So, guys, we've got four superlatives I want to hit on here for the NFL draft. And the first one, pretty simple, favorite draft pick. I think with any draft selection or any draft class, rather, you're always going to have a selection that stands out to you, one that you're in love with, one that maybe you got really good value on a player, and frankly, for me, it has to be Aziz Ojolari. The fact that they were able to get a guy who we talked about as being a possibility at 11 to slide all the way to where they were picking in the second round because of concerns with a knee injury, I think that's perfect that they still ended up with him. And he's going to be able to step in and contribute, barring that there's no major concerns with this injury to his knee, which is a few years old. So this could end up turning out to be a really, really good second round pick. Absolutely. And the thing about Aziz, too, Dave Gettleman actually talked about it on the fan. I think he was on with Moose and Maggie. He said that he was not even concerned about the knee. So if you even consider it that way, it's like, wow, he slid to 50 and he's not even concerned about the knee. That's just excellent value. He was my second ranked edge coming out of this class behind Jalen Phillips, but I also just envisioned him being a perfect fit for this Patrick Graham system. He can drop into coverage. He's a good pass rusher, has a quick first few steps, has one really, really dynamic pass rushing move, the stab, violent chop, dip the inside shoulder, corner to the quarterback. And then against the run, man, he's so aggressive taking on pullers. It's very, very, very physical. And I love to see that as well. So I'm uh, that would definitely be my pick as well as these Ojolari falling to 50. And I think it's funny, man, because I think a lot of people would have been pleased with this draft if the Giants traded back to 20, took Aziz Ojolari, and then got Kadarius Tony at 50. But there was no way Kadarius was going to end up falling that far because I believe it was Urban Meyer 
Meyer came out and he said that uh, he was probably going to select Kadarius Tony. I was kind of shocked that he said that. You know, he has those Florida ties. But when you look at that Jacksonville roster, they got LaVisca Chenault, a player that's somewhat similar to a Kadarius Tony. But you know what? I think the Giants got a great football player in Kadarius and they got a great football player with a lot of potential in Aziz Ojolari. Yeah, just so we could talk about somebody different, I'm going to go with the Ellerson Smith, fourth round pick yeah. out of Northern Iowa. Yeah. What I love about that pick is that the Giants went there. Yeah. I don't think anyone really had Ellerson Smith going probably before the fifth or sixth round. So just if we go according to the uh, online draft intelligentsia, that was a reach by the Giants. But I think Ellerson Smith could wind up being that good where yeah, he has the size, he's got the length, he's got that ridiculous lower body explosiveness. I mean, a 260-pound dude jumping 41 inches in the air is ridiculous. And yeah, that's NBA ops right there. You combine that with the fact that he has a clue of what to do with his hands coming out of college. You know, he's not super polished, but he's got some moves. He's got a counter move. He's got he's got a primary move. He can actually set up blockers and then beat them with technique, not just dominating small school guys by being bigger, stronger, faster. Yeah, you know, I think all of that means he can get on the field right away and he can start giving them really good value for that pick. And, and honestly, it surprises me that so many people were low on Ellerson Smith. I'm going to bring him up a little bit more on our next topic, but I love that pick too, Chris. I, I think that a height, weight, speed profile that this guy has, he is a physical freak. And I spoke very highly of Spencer Brown throughout this process, but Ellerson Smith, his teammate, is just as athletic as much of a freak. The guy's six foot seven, and you talked about how much he weighs, 260 pounds, you could possibly add a little bit more weight to his frame. He doesn't look fully maxed out to me. The guy's a fantastic athlete, and if you just get all of that stuff to play up to where he is at physically, he could turn into a really, really key part of this defense. If not, he's just a a twitchy guy, a, a good athlete with fantastic size that you maybe rotate in. Fourth round is great value for somebody like that in my eyes. Yeah, and just moving on to the most underrated selection, which is, you know, where you're kind of segueing to, I've got to go with Ellerson Smith. Just stay right there. Yeah, I think, like I said, be part a big part of the reason why I like that pick so much is that so many people were low on him. I think probably because coming out of Northern Iowa, not a whole lot of people got to watch him before the Senior Bowl. And, yeah, I was able to get all 22 tape of him and what we saw on the field down in Mobile, that was not a fluke. Yeah, he jumped off the field against Power 5 football factory offensive linemen. And that is who he is as a pass rusher. So I think he has the potential to really seriously outplay his draft pro- his draft projection. And yeah, he might actually come close to that ESPN football outsider's projection that he could be the second best pass rusher in this draft. That would be some really high praise there for Allison Smith, but everything that you said before, and he would be my most underrated selection as well. It's true, Chris, man. He can string moves together. He knows when to get to his counter moves, uses good timing, love how active his hands are, uses his hands and feet in conjunction with each other. The sky's really the limit 
with Ellerson Smith. My one little pushback on him, and I think a big reason why he fell to the fourth round, other than the fact that he didn't play in 2020, which is probably a benefit to the New York Giants because they really just had 2019 film against inferior competition and then what he did down at the Senior Bowl. But I wish he was a little bit more stronger at the point of attack. He can get pushed around a little bit, allows tackles kind of to get into his chest and move him just a little bit. And also as a pass rusher, he's a little bit more finesse than he has power. If he can really develop a speed to power game, he can convert that. Oh man, he would be so much fun at that length with that lower body explosiveness and quickness. But I wanted to kind of touch on another player as well, just for underrated selection, see what you guys think. That's first round big baby. That's Kadarius Tony. Nobody was talking about Kadarius Tony as a uh, as a New York Giant. Nobody was mentioning it. And when the draft happened, I was like, oh, wow, we went with Kadarius Tony. And then you start diving deeper, deeper into his film. And I watched film on Florida's offense and I liked him a lot. But once you start diving deeper into it, man, you really start falling in love with the player. And you just hope Jason Garrett figures it out, man. You just hope Jason Garrett can maximize this kid because it could be a really, really interesting offense in 2021 with Kenny Galladay, a healthy Saquon Barkley, and now Kadarius Tony. I find it funny that you said that nobody was talking about him leading up to this. And that was what I kept saying this whole draft process is whoever the Giants first round pick is, is going to be the most unexpected name that we can possibly think of. And of course, the trade back puts them in a spot to do that. I literally, I will say pretty confidently right here, did I, if I thought that Kadarius Tony was going to be a New York Giant, I had no thought in my mind that that was going to even be on the radar. I didn't even think that they were going to go receiver in the first round. Um, but they ended up doing it. Kadarius Tony, I, I do think it is a bit underrated to, to add a guy like that. He might not get a ton of touches, but just having an elite weapon, a guy that is very, very fast, a deep threat, he was almost the missing piece of the group because, and as we talk about a lot on the show, you want to build out your receiving core like a basketball team. And he was that one guy that's the smaller, shiftier, explosive a deep threat receiver that it now can be a, an extra option for this receiving group. And ultimately, maybe if Sterling Shepard isn't back and some of these guys don't return for next season, he could step up into a bigger role in the future after his rookie season. I'd say my only problem with Kadarius Tony is that Rashad Bateman was still on the board when they took him. And I, I love me some Rash, Rashad Bateman. He was just an absolute monster in 2019. Yeah. I kind of sort of discount the 2020 season just because there was that opt out, opt back in, opt out. It was Minnesota's season was a mess. But in 2019, he was on, he was only a small step behind Jamar Chase with his play on the field. He could attack defenses shallow. He could attack them deep. And it is just not fair that a talent like that went to the Baltimore Ravens. <laughs> Happens every year, Chris. It, Baltimore it, Ravens. Yeah. Every single year, they end up getting somebody who falls, like Patrick Queen. I mean, these two players are totally different, Rashad Bateman and Kadarius Tony. Kadarius Tony offers a much different, I guess, skill set. But you're right, man. Rashad Bateman is just a technician at the line of scrimmage, something that Kadarius Tony struggles a little bit with with those releases just because he didn't really face press as often. But whew, you get the ball in Kadarius Tony's hands, man. He just is so slippery. He's like a combination of... And I know this is very high praise, so take it with a grain of salt, but he's like a combination of LaShawn McCoy and... Alvin Kamara in some sense, man, because people just bounce off of him. If you don't hit him low at the ankles and he runs so low to the ground, it's hard to bring him down. You try to tackle him high, man, you're going to fall off. And there's so many, it's not just once or twice on his film, it's throughout his film. And that's great. And I'm not saying he's going to be those players, but he has elements of their game to him when you watch the film. So the next category that we're going to get to is going to be the biggest head scratcher of the draft selections. Before we get to that though, folks, we're just going to take a really short commercial break. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. 
Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200 or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to help keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR and legal, can stay connected and move together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. So with any draft class, there's always going to be a pick where you're wondering to yourself, why was this guy taken here? How does he fit into the roster? And for me, it stands out pretty clearly. And Nick, I know that you're going to disagree with me on this a little bit, but Aaron Robinson, third round out of UCF, cornerback, I don't get the pick. It didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. The draft pundits that I was talking to, and I did a live stream with former um, scout David Turner, who actually scouted under Dave Gettleman when he was with the Panthers, and after that pick went through, David Turner was saying that the, he was surprised that if they were going to go corner, why they went with a guy like Aaron Robinson. He, he was expecting, based on what Gettleman likes, to go with maybe a, a Benjamin St. Juice who was picked a little bit after Aaron Rob- Robinson was, or maybe an Ifeitu Melon Fonwu, bigger, taller man corners. The other thing, too, that was continually brought up by the, the people I was doing this live stream with was this is a guy who's going to get a lot of pe- penalties, a guy that gets caught holding, guys that a guy that makes a lot of errors when it comes to that stuff. Maybe expect that for the Giants. Separate from that, though, I just don't understand why you're investing a third-round pick in a corner when they spent the money on Adoree Jackson this offseason. And if you look at the landscape of the secondary, you have Adoree Jackson, James Bradbury starting on the outside, most likely. Darnay Holmes had a pretty good year in the slot. You have also have some decent depth with some other guys. Is Julian Love a corner? Um, you know, How does the, this whole thing shape out? On top of that, where is Aaron Robinson going to line up? I just don't, and I'm legitimately saying this as though if you guys have a suggestion on where he's going to line up, I can't really picture it to me where he's going to fit into this group separate from being a just a sub package guy. So maybe he outplays that that possibility. I just don't understand when they clearly need, and we said this the whole draft cycle, they clearly needed to get one interior guy on day one or day two at some point, and they didn't draft a single interior offensive lineman and, and we were looking up the guys before that were still on the board Quinn Miners was still on the vo- board uh Wyatt Davis Trey Smith who ended up going in the sixth round of the Chiefs might not have been on their radar at that time 
but a lot of guys were still available that could have been decent guys to at least compete to start at either of the guard spots. So that's why it's head-scratching for me. I didn't think that he, he fit where he was selected slightly, but the bigger issue is I'm not a fan of them drafting a corner in round three when there were other needs that needed to be addressed. I say, I'm going to jump in before Nick because I have an idea where he's going to go. But I'm going to say uh, Aaron Robinson is mine as well at, for a lot of the same reasons as Joe. I can see why the Giants made the pick. He's got the Alabama ties, even though they're you know a little, they're a ways back. He's got those Alabama ties. He, he's got decent size, not great. Uh, his arms are a little short. He doesn't have the length of someone like uh, St. Juice, who was on the board, who I was actually expecting them to go with if they went cornerback. But he does have athleticism. He's a good athlete. He is very disruptive at the catch point. Uh, I think he had something like 16 or 20 passes defensed. He is a problem for receivers at the catch point. I think he probably slides in or competes with Darnay Holmes at the slot, but he could transition to more of a almost Julian Love type uh, nickel defender type role where you can line him up at safety. You can line him corner. He could give you depth outside if necessary. But yeah, for me, the, weirdest thing about it was everybody else who was still on the board uh spencer brown quinn Miners, ben cleveland wyatt davis you know all of these guys could compete to help improve that offensive line you had st juice who kind of he checks a lot more of the boxes that dave gettleman and patrick graham have said they like in corners with you know really good movement skills really long players guys who can you know press up and be disruptive over a broader area. I'll just say a larger catch denial radius. But I can also see the attraction to the guy they picked. Yeah, I mean, for me, Aaron Robinson, I got to come in here and defend it a little bit. And I can understand if you have to pick a head-scratching one, especially when you consider that they traded a fifth-round pick to jump up to select him. I can understand what you're saying, but it's all about value. And they really valued what he can bring to this defense. And I do believe he can bring a different skill set than someone like even a Darnay Holmes, somebody that I loved in his rookie season. But Aaron Robinson, he's a press man corner who can also play the star position for them. He can kick inside to that star position, which is like a safety linebacker hybrid because he's so physical and so good in run support. And I believe the Giants put such a high uh, expectation on their secondary, their secondary's ability to tackle. And you look around the NFL, You'd think that would be a given, but it's just not. But you look at the Giants, how many broken plays happen because our cornerbacks miss tackles? This is why Isaac Yadam has a roster spot, because he's physical and he can tackle. Now, I think adding Robinson is going to allow Patrick Graham to run more press man coverage, because when you run press man or you run just man coverage in general on a more consistent rate, if you have one liability, and Chris, you know this, if you have one liability, then it's done. <laughs> You're going to be screwed. Now, I believe Darnay Holmes can do that, but I'm not sure if the coaching staff sees that as much. I think you select this guy and he's going to be a versatile piece for that secondary who can play on the boundary if he has to, if a Dory Jackson gets hurt. So the trade up, I can see why it's a little head scratching, but I do believe this player, his athletic ability, his aggressiveness in tackling and how he plays the catch point, like you brought up, Chris, I think this is a really good football player that the Giants ended up getting in the third round. They saw him as a value, so they traded that fifth round pick that they didn't value as much to go and get him. That's my defense of the pick, just that versatility, aggressiveness, playing at the catch point, and the overall athletic ability. Because if you watch his hips, man, Chris, you could speak to this too. Guy's fluid. The guy is very, very fluid. He can just swivel his hips, and he does not lose any momentum in his movements, which is not a given for a lot of cornerbacks. So I really do like 
that aspect of him as well. I admittedly haven't watched him as much as you guys have, but ideally what we're going to end up doing for the next few shows, probably more than a few, we will be doing profiles on each guy like we did last draft cycle. So once we all dive into the tape and I get the chance to probably catch up a little bit on you guys, maybe my perspective will change, but that is something folks to look forward to as we are going to be profiling these various prospects and how they're going to fit on this Giants team, where we think that they're going to line up and all, all of that good stuff that you just highlighted there, Nick. We'll probably go a little bit deeper uh, to provide a, an interesting perspective. But the last category that we want to hit on here is our overall grade. And it's such an overdone thing post-draft, but you might as well participate in the fun of grading the draft classes. This grade could vastly change in the next three years and it probably won't even be anywhere near what we have it right now but based on how we think these guys will do based on the overall draft how would we grade this draft class chris let's go to you first Ooh, <laughs> um i think probably the most fair grade is incomplete because like you said we don't know how these guys are going to pan out uh we don't know what's going to come of that future first round pick, which I think does have to be factored into the grade. You know, the fact that they got future draft capital is definitely an important part of their overall draft strategy, especially since, you know, the Giants are going to be in a roster bind and a salary cap bind for a little bit going forward here. You know, they've got something like 45 free agents next year. So they're going to be, they're going to need to be able to, restock this roster with affordable players picking up that extra first round pick that definitely helps uh right now i don't know what to make of Kadarius tony in this offense you know like nick said there's a lot to like about what he can do on the football field just don't know if jason garrett is going to be able to unleash that i i'll admit he surprised me last year with how he adapted the offense to basically what he had to deal with on the roster. You know, an offensive line that we'll say took some time to gel, uh, a passing game that was kind of non-existent and yeah, you know, he adapted. So I'll give him a wait and see on that and working with the type of player he's never really had before in Kadarius, Tony, um, Aziz Ojolari, Dave Gettleman might say he doesn't care. he, has no questions about the knee, but the Giants also did pass on him three times before they finally picked him. The knee might be fine now, but I can't help but, and this is just maybe past trauma as a Giants fan, having just this little niggling worm of doubt that, you know, maybe it's a Kenny Phillips type situation. No, uh, there's absolutely no information to say that that is what the situation is, but just something in the back of my mind that's still like, you know, you be a little bit scared. <laughs> yeah, and I, I I obviously hope that Ojalari pans out and he looks like the steal of the draft. So overall, I think I will give this draft, I would say a solid B that could go up to an A if that first round pick pans out. Uh, a plus if Ellerson Smith does what I think he could be able to do. But right now, there's just a little bit too much unknown to go much above that B for me. For me, I'm going to go with an A because of the draft capital they were able to get. I mean, Jai's now have 10 picks next year. And I've been saying for weeks that they need to get picks for the next year or for this draft, just because like you said, they have 46 expiring contracts. That's a lot. And they're in 2020 
cap hell, according to the guy who controls their cap. It's going to be pretty inflexible. There's going to be some releases after this season. I'm going to go with an A because I love the addition of Kadarius Tony. We hope the offensive coordinator could figure it out. If he doesn't this year, he's probably going to not be the offensive coordinator much longer. And then they'd bring in somebody who would be able to maximize a player like Kadarius Tony. Love the Aziz Ojolari and the Ellerson Smith picks. I think Aaron Robinson, yeah, you traded up more, but I do believe that he is a solid football player to good football player with a lot of upside, as I alluded to before. And then the last two picks, the six round picks, I think they're more special teams types of guys. I don't think Rodarius Williams necessarily has the athletic ability to consistently play on the defense, but he can play special teams, has played special teams. And then Brightwell, man, he's somebody who had seven tackles on special teams. And he also offers some, I would say, deceptive athletic ability because he didn't test well, but then you turn on the tape and he has some juke moves and some really, really good vision that helps set up uh, the fact that he can make people miss in space. So, and he, he only played, started five games this year because he was playing in the pack 12, which is something else. So the giants think they might've got somebody there. I mean, that's one where I was like, I didn't, I thought like Khalil Herbert and some of the other running backs were better talents, more dynamic than he was, but they still went in that direction. But the reason it's not an A plus for me, because I love that draft capital, but the reason it's not an A plus for me, is because they didn't invest in the interior offensive line. Now, I really wanted them to invest in the interior offensive line. I think it could be a problem going into 2021 because development, as Mark Schofield says, development is not always linear. And we've seen that with Will Hernandez. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if any of these offensive linemen underperform because they're all so new. And I know bringing in another offensive lineman who's new, they could also underperform, but it just creates a more competitive atmosphere and allows the cream to rise to the top. So I hope that Rob Sale can develop all these guys. It's not a given, but let's hope for the best because the 31st ranked offensive line is not going to get the Giants to the playoffs. Yeah, I'm on the same page as you, Nick, but I'm going to give them a B plus. And, and the reason why I'm knocking them is majorly because of the fact that they did not address any competition whatsoever in the interior. That, for me, is a major negative because right now, that was what the biggest hole was after free agency. They got receivers. They got corners. They didn't do anything to sign any competitive interior guys that could compete to start. And you don't necessarily need to spend a first or a second round pick on one of these players, but somewhere on day three, one of those picks could have been spent on an interior player just to, again, provide competition maybe they're banking on some younger guys like my former teammate Kyle Murphy to be some of that competition we don't really know how he's developed because the media had less access to practices than they normally would maybe that's what where their thought their head is at but I'm very high on this class uh for the part of Aziz Ojolari Ellerson Smith Kadarius Tony has a lot of potential but the big reason why and I think that we can all agree here when you get a first round pick for next season and you have two first-round picks, and one of the team that team that you got their first-round pick has the potential to possibly be picking in the top fifteen. That is huge. That is a great uh, haul from this class. That separate from whoever you pick, the fact that you are netting draft picks, not only uh, you know a high draft pick, but a first-round draft pick is very, very big for the gro- uh, for the growth and the uh, development of this roster. And I think maybe not this year. This year is definitely going to be an improvement going forward. They need to be in a position to compete for the NFC East. And I think that what they did in free agency is going to help them do that. But depending on how they draft in 2022, now that they have two first-round picks, I think could really help this roster go from being competitive 
and uh, on the fringe of being possibly a playoff team to being very, very good, depending on how they draft in 2022. That's what we're hoping for. We're hoping for uh, the Giants to seize this division, bring that NFC East crown back, and then see what they can do in the playoffs. But you need that offensive line to hold up. You need Daniel Jones to take steps forward. Leonard Williams to continue to put pressure on the quarterback. That's something that we complained about the year before was the fact that he couldn't finish the sacks. He got the pressure, but he couldn't finish the sacks. Last year, he gets 11 and a half sacks. And we're like, oh, that's awesome. But that could regress. So we still need this defense to play to that 2020 level. And we need that offense to obviously take those steps forward. Now, just before we finish up, what do you guys think about or how Justin Fields could factor into the perception of this draft class? You know, Joe talked about, you know, if things don't really pan out with Fields, the Bears could be drafting in the top top 15. You know, if he takes a little while to get going or if he goes the way of, well, pretty much every other Ohio State quarterback to enter the NFL in the last, I don't know, 20 years or so. But what if Fields shows out? What if he is, you know, like Mark Schofield had him, QB2 right behind Trevor Lawrence. You know, there was a stretch this year where there were some pretty smart people saying he could be as good, if not better, than Trevor Lawrence. You know, then he had that game against Alabama and then people started dropping him down almost out of the first round. But, you know, what what if Fields shows up and shows out this year? For me, it's uh, I mean, they also had the game against what is it, Northwestern and Indiana, where it was pretty uh, it wasn't great tape, to be honest. But I think if Justin Fields ends up being what a lot of people expected him to be a really, really good quarterback, one of those pro bowl type quarterbacks and Daniel Jones flames out this year, we're going to look back on this and be like, wow, we traded when we had an opportunity to get Justin Fields. That's exactly what we're going to say. It'll be a little bit of revisionist history, but if he ends up being a a perennial all pro type of guy, I mean, that's of course how we're going to look at it, especially if Daniel Jones doesn't live up to expectations. Yeah, no, I think that that is definitely a really interesting thought, but at the same time, it's a shoulda, coulda, woulda type situation. Do you really get hung up and, and, and all on that stuff? And I don't, I don't think you really can because you're in a spot here right now where we believe that Daniel Jones is good enough to at least get the job done. Um, and that move was done to build around him and build a good roster around him. Even if Justin Fields ends up being fantastic, I would almost rather have a fully competitive team than uh, an elite quarterback. And what I'm specifically referencing, look at Deshaun Watson. The guy is fantastic. He's an elite quarterback, and he's been a top five player at the position, top 10 player at the position, but the the team around him is not necessarily caught up, and there's a lot of issues on the roster, and the reason there's a reason why that they've completely fallen off the way that they did. So if, if Daniel Jones, as I've projected, turns into Ryan Tannehill and the rest of this roster is really, really good, I would almost rather have that, and I, I don't want to get too caught up on the did the Giants mess up on passing on Justin Fields and miss out on that that scenario because if these draft picks hit and they develop a really quality roster, that is going to be more beneficial for winning a Super Bowl and being a consistent playoff team rather than having an elite quarterback. Because, I mean, right now, if you look at the Bears roster, their salary cap situation is not exactly ideal. It might take them some time to actually get back on their feet and be competitive again. So, Yeah, that's absolutely true. And really, all of the draft class evaluations – just to undermine the premise of this entire show, now that people have almost listened all the way through it, all of it's uh, shoulda, woulda, coulda, and we really don't know how this is all going to pan out. I remember the 2012 draft class was hailed as some of Jerry Reese's best work, and a lot of outlets gave it a very strong A. You know, some of them even gave it up to A plus and had 
the Giants had the best draft of any of anyone that year. Well, it, barring the Colts getting Andrew Luck, <laughs> but you know, the, it's going to take some time to see how it all really shakes out. Well, I think that's a good note to wrap us up on here as hoping for the best from this draft class. We have some positives, some negatives from it. And as I referenced earlier, we are going to be breaking down each prospect individually so you're familiar with the roster and you know what to expect. Folks, thanks for tuning in on today's episode. Be sure to subscribe, leave us a five-star review, head to bigblueview.com and follow us on social media at bigblueview on Twitter and Instagram. Enjoy the rest of your day, folks. We'll talk to you soon.